Today is December 3rd, 2021. This is Everyone Has an Opinion. My name is Juan, and the November to Remember is finally over. The November to Remember delivered and over-delivered, actually. It exceeded expectations. The hype was real, and it was justified because the results were even greater than we imagined. That says where the sport is currently. Extremely healthy right now. One of the best eras of all time. Yes, I said it. You can argue with yourself if you want, but that's just one man's opinion. Um, the talent that we currently have, to me, is something that hasn't been seen since probably the 80s. But again, everyone has an opinion. That just happens to be mine. But I'm here to talk about December. We're here in December, and the train doesn't stop. We still got two great cards coming up this weekend. It's been literally every weekend for over a month now. This weekend's no different. Jojo Diaz is challenging Devin Haney for the WBC regular championship. I'm sure someone heard that and said, wait a minute, what? I thought Cambosos just became undisputed. Yeah, he did in my mind and many others' minds, but this is a corrupt game. There's a lot of championships being thrown around for sanctioning fees, and that's really the only reason. Sanctioning fees, notoriety to the brand of the WBC and of the other organizations. They're not um, innocent as well. They have their own issues. But the WBC really dropped the ball on this one, emailing Devin Haney a version of the championship after upgrading Tiafimo Lopez to franchise champion. When Tiafimo was franchise champion, um, excuse me, Lomachenko was franchise champion, Tiafimo beat him for all of his belts, therefore making him undisputed. Even the WBC recognized Tiafimo as being undisputed. Then he was just upset Saturday by George Cambosis, and he has the franchise championship and a version of the WBC championship, but Devin Haney also has a WBC championship. So you tell me, a little confusion in the sport, what else is new, but the main focus is Saturday night in Las Vegas, live on zone. you've got a great fight. Really good matchup. Jojo Diaz is tough. Jojo Diaz will be there all night. He's not an easy touch for Devin Haney. In fact, it was supposed to be Jojo Diaz versus Ryan Garcia, a fight that I would gladly have picked Ryan Garcia to lose. I think Devin Haney is much better than Ryan Garcia, but Jojo Diaz is a legit contender. Um, Ryan Garcia had to pull out because of a hand injury. I believe he has a broken hand. Devin Haney said, I'll fill in for Ryan Garcia. Jojo, let's f- why don't you fight me? Jojo was talking trash back on social media. These things happen all the time. But it's very rare that the two guys sit down and actually come to an agreement, especially this fast. So these guys are going back and forth. Fight me. Yeah, I'll fight you. No problem. Uh, Make sure the money's right. Oh, the money will be right. No problem. Well, the money was right. And both guys did agree to fight each other. And Saturday night, we're going to get a good fight. Really good fight in a loaded lightweight division. Forget the titles or whatever. That really is irrelevant because we're going to get a good fight. Um, any way you slice it, I don't see this being a bad one. Devin Haney has more skills than Jojo, but Jojo Diaz is no slouch. Like I said before, he's a former champion. He's more comfortable at this weight. He's upset the cart many times. Um, I personally have picked against him many times and been wrong. Jojo Diaz, when you think you know everything there is to see with him, he'll bring out another um, wrinkle to his game that you didn't know he was capable of. Jojo Diaz has a great flicking right hook. It's a little loop to it. I think he could be effective with that. He leans in with with a straight left hand, dips really low defensively, 
and then comes up and throws combinations. This guy, when he raises his head back up, he he does a good job of fainting upstairs, but he'll come down to the body extremely well. He's extremely tough. Guy had a huge gash against Tevin Farmer. If you didn't see that fight, go look at the highlights. The whole fight isn't much of a great fight, but the highlights will definitely do it justice. I think Farmer was winning early, and I believe it was a headbutt. Tevin Farmer's big, bald head smashed right above Jojo Diaz's eye, causing a huge gash. Um, it looked like the fight was going to get stopped. Diaz was bleeding terribly in that fight. I, for one, thought the fight the cut was going to stop the fight because it was that bad of a cut. But Jojo Diaz really improved after the cut. It's like the, the cut is what he needed to be motivated enough. And then pretty much from the round he got cut in, after that, he dominated the fight. He also had that fight open up against Javier Fortuna in his last fight. Uh, that's something definitely to look at. It was in the same area. But again, JoJo willed himself to a victory, outworked Fortuna. Fortuna has massive power. Diaz traded with him, wasn't afraid of his shots at all. Um, Diaz is a warrior in there. Fights great on the inside. lands uppercuts and hooks very well. I think he needs to be close, though, to throw those hooks. He doesn't have much range on the hook. So from a distance, he usually relies on his jab, and he lunges forward with straight left hands. He's a southpaw, lunges forward, and he has like a little looping right hook um, that I definitely think can be effective with Haney because it's not orthodox. It's very different than you're trained to throw that hook. So I think that can throw a textbook guy like Haney off a little bit, something that's awkward, something that he isn't used to training against. But JoJo isn't someone that Haney will overlook. Haney is always prepared, always ready. Diaz's only loss is to Gary Russell Jr. And that was back when Gary Russell Jr. was Gary Russell Jr. <laughs> because now the guy fights probably once a year, if that. But JoJo Diaz has a good resume. And I think he's in his prime right now. He's coming off some big fights. Fought Farmer, who was the champion, took his belt. Um, had a draw with Rockmanoff. That was a really tough fight. I think JoJo was a little bit out of shape that fight. He came in a little bit overweight, lost his title on the scale, fought well, but I didn't think he did enough to win, and he got the draw. But then he came back against Fortuna and clearly beat Fortuna. So that was two out of three clear victories, and the draw was a little bit a gift of a draw, but it was still against a really credible, undefeated opponent. So I don't think that's anything to worry about. JoJo has proven since then that he's focused. He looks better at 35, looks much more solid, um, seemed like he had more energy in his last fight. So we'll see how he fares against Devin Haney. I don't think Devin Haney wants to make this a firefight. I think if he gets into a firefight, especially on the inside against Diaz, Diaz will get the best of Haney. But Haney is very focused, like I mentioned. He is, he is um, he's a kid that... We've really seen grow up before our eyes. He was in the Mayweather gym all the time as a kid. Um, it's actually shocking that he didn't sign with Mayweather Promotions because that's how close their relationship was with Haney coming up early. But he's a free agent now. He was signed to Matchroom for a little bit. He still is working with Matchroom on his own, but he is a free agent. He can make pretty much whatever fights he wants. His father has managed him very, very well. His father knows the game inside and out. So I think... Haney's career is on the right path with Mayweather or not. He'll be looking to make a statement, though, to separate himself from the other lightweights, especially the younger guys that he gets compared to all the time. Tiafimo last year made his statement against Lomachenko. Then we didn't see him for a year. And last Saturday, he didn't look himself. He looked really flat. 
He looked really unfocused. I expect Diaz, excuse me, I expect Haney to be extremely focused, especially after that, especially knowing, hey, upsets can happen. I got to be on my A game, especially against a guy like Jojo Diaz, who's a veteran. And he knows that he's the underdog. He knows what's at stake here. He beats me. He elevates his game even more. So we'll see how it plays out. Haney throws these large, excuse me, long-range uppercuts. He has an amazing jab. One of the best jabs in boxing is possessed by Devin Haney. He throws it extremely often. He likes to hold it out there, kind of like a rangefinder, as he steps back and then keeps pumping it. He pumps it nonstop. And he's not afraid to go downstairs with that jab either. He also throws big right hooks to the body. Haney's shown like a mean streak in his last fight, where a lot of people were questioning him before his last fight against Linares. And that was the biggest win of his career. Because he's standing there with Linares. He traded with him. He stood in the pocket, landed big combinations, especially in the second half. Landed big combinations, big hooks. He was going for the stoppage. Didn't quite have the power to get the stoppage, but he was clearly going for it, sitting down on his punches, landing huge shots, teeing off on Linares, which is impressive. And he fought off the clinch very well, too, especially on the inside. He fought a tough fight. He really explored all aspects of his game against Linares. And he took some big shots for it. He took a big shot in the ninth, an uppercut, and then in the huge the huge straight right that, that landed in the 10th round at the end of the round wobbled Haney. He was going back to his corner because the bell rang to end the round, and he kind of wobbled, did a one-two step, and almost fell down. But he was clearly rocked, took a lot of punishment from that right hand. It was at the end of a combination, too. I don't think he expected that straight right hand. Linares threw maybe four or five punch combination, and at the end of it was the huge straight right that wobbled him. But Haney survived. He came back in the early in the 11th round, got punished, held on in the middle of the round before finally recovering towards the end of the 11th. And then he started coming forward again, landing big combinations while also being smart defensively. But a lot of people made memes. A lot of people criticized Haney for how he was hugging and holding towards the end of the fight. But I tweeted that night. I said, I'd rather look funny or afraid and be scared in a victory than be knocked out cold in a defeat. So I don't take anything away from Haney for dominating a fight, getting rocked in the 11th round of that fight, excuse me, at the end of the 10th round of that fight, coming out in the 11th, surviving, and then in the 12th, stood toe-to-toe for a little bit, but realized, hey, I'm not trying to get knocked out here or even dropped. Let me hold this guy. I've clearly won 9 or 10 of the 12 rounds. Let me take my victory and go back to the drawing board. There's nothing to prove here. He already proved it. He already outboxed the boxer and really established himself as an elite lightweight in the world. But Jojo Diaz will be a much different task than Linares. Similar in some ways, but Jojo is in his prime. Linares was definitely at the end of his time. So we'll see. Saturday night live on zone in Las Vegas. I got Devin Haney in this one. I think Jojo will be game. He will push Haney at times, but Haney is much sharper and much more committed to his defense than Jojo Diaz is. But I expect a really fun fight in Las Vegas. And that's only one of the two big fights this weekend. That Saturday on Sunday. Yes, Sunday. Showtime is putting together another Sunday pay-per-view. Um, seems to be a trend since the summer. Started by Floyd Mayweather and Logan Paul. They had a Sunday pay-per-view. It was extremely successful. I believe Showtime is happy with those Sunday numbers. Because they brought Jake Paul out on a Sunday against Woodley. And now Tank Davis is getting the Sunday pay-per-view as well. So they must love that Sunday number. 
Um, I actually don't have a problem with it. Everyone's home on Sundays. We get Saturday night and then Sunday night. Showtime pay-per-view. Javante Tank Davis is fighting Isaac Cruz from Mexico. One of the most entertaining fighters there is in the lightweight division. Isaac Cruz, if you haven't seen him, stop this podcast. Go look at even just his highlights. They call him the Pitbull for a reason. He is like a Sean Porter of the lightweight division. Non-stop aggression, non-stop power, hooks coming in from both sides, right and left-handed. He is just has an extremely high motor on him, the will to win, and I expect an extremely fun fight. There is no way, and I made a few guarantees on this podcast. I don't like to guarantee too much because, hey, it's life. You don't know what's going to happen. But there's some things that I will guarantee, and I will guarantee on Sunday night, Tank Davis versus Isak Cruz will be memorable. It'll be extremely entertaining. It will be a war. The two styles that you have going into this fight are just impossible not to produce entertainment. And why do we watch these fights? For entertainment. When people talk about this guy being a draw, that guy being a draw, um, the fans don't know this guy, so how's Javante Davis going to sell this and that? Well, the sell is Javante Davis. People are paying to be entertained by Javante Davis. They don't know half the opponents. Is this going to be as fun of a buildup as the original opponent, Rolly Romero? No, because Rolly Romero was a great trash talker. Rolly Romero is a funny guy. He had an entertainment value of his own to bring eyeballs to the fight. But make no mistake about it, Isak Cruz is a better fighter than Rolly Romero. Any way you cut it or dice it, it doesn't matter because Isak Cruz has proved more than Rolly Romero has. And that's just a fact. He's been in there with tougher competition and he's looked more impressive while doing it. Rolly Romero possesses a good right hand. He does. And he possesses size over Tank Davis. But that's about it. Isak Cruz is going to bring the volume. Isak Cruz is going to bring the pressure. Isak Cruz is going to make sure this is a fun fight. And Javante Davis always makes sure it's a fun fight. So what are we going to what do we have when we got two trains running into each other? We're going to get an explosion. We're going to get an accident. One-way traffic between two Power punchers who are going for the kill. I can't see this lasting more than six rounds, and I expect every minute of it to be thrilling. Tune in. Sunday night, live on Showtime pay-per-view. Saturday night is on zone. Sunday night is on Showtime. And I'm taking Tank Davis here by KO. Take nothing from Isak Cruz. He's a tough guy, but Tank Davis just has game-changing power. I had issues with Tank early in his career because I thought he was undisciplined. I believe it was around the the Conor McGregor Mayweather fight where Tank was on the undercard. It was a huge opportunity for him, the biggest platform he'll ever be on, and he missed his weight that night. And I said, this guy just must not be focused. This guy isn't going to be as good as he should be because he's lacking focus. He's out there going out a lot, partying, hanging with Adrian Broner, getting in trouble. There was some rumors of them fighting in a hotel after one of the fights. There was just always these, uh, the video of him grabbing his girlfriend. There was always these question marks about Tank. Like, is he focused? What's going on? Does he have outside the ring issues? Is he too involved in the streets? 
getting into public arguments with the Charlos. There was a lot of just weird stuff going on with Tank where I said, this guy just seems like he lacks the discipline, lacks the focus. He doesn't want to be as great as he can be. And he was missing weight a couple times. Usually that isn't a good thing. So then I heard he moved to Vegas. And I was like, okay, that may not be a good thing because of the Vegas lifestyle, um, partying a lot, gambling possibly. Who knows what he's getting into in Vegas. But then I heard him say, no, no, no. I moved away from Baltimore because I wanted to get away from everything, get away from that street life because I can't have one foot in the streets and one foot in boxing. So I decided to put both feet in boxing, be all in. And ever since he said that, he has proven himself to be correct in that statement because I've seen nothing wrong with him mentally, physically, um, making weight, anything slacking in the ring, anything slacking in his personal life. He really does mean what he said, and it's paid off because this guy's been in the gym all year round. He's made weight every fight. He's been active. He's been a pay-per-view star since saying that pretty much. Javante Davis is entering his prime physically and mentally. And that is the most important thing. So he's already proven he can take away, he can make big events. And now he's headlining pay-per-views himself. This is his third in a row. When Mayweather said he was going to be a pay-per-view star, I didn't really think so because I said, this guy isn't focused enough. He's not going to get that far. He's not going to obtain the, the status that he needs. But he really has. He's proven me wrong in that aspect. And he's one of my favorite fighters to watch. He is by far the biggest star in his division, in the division above him and the division below him. There isn't even anyone close to being second. That's why he's the A-side, no matter who is on the other side. That's part of the reason why I think Cambosos' next move will be to fight Tank Davis. Because against everyone else in the lightweight division, Cambosos is the A-side. But when he fights Tank, he'll be taking a back seat. Everyone else will have to go to Australia to fight Cambosos. And he, he earned that right. Three of his last fights were on the road. Two again, two in the U.S., one in the U.K. He's from Australia. So he's fought three consecutive fights on the road, and one of them was to win the championship. So he clearly earned it. But when you're talking about fighting against Tank, the money is just way different on that side. The Al Heyman side, the Tank Davis side, the Floyd Mayweather side. It just comes with more star power, more money. And I think Cambosos would take that money and not only take the money, the opportunity to fight Tank Davis. I mean, let's be honest. Most people thought, like I did, that Cambosos was getting knocked out. The fact that he didn't, the fact that he proved a lot of people wrong, gained a lot of fans, gained a lot more confidence than he already had. I'm sure he looks at Davis as more than just a payday. He looks at it as another chance to shock the world and really cement his status as a top lightweight in the world. But we'll see what happens. Tank Davis is very underestimated in many ways. That's why I find it funny when people were saying, oh, uh, you know, Haney's in the bigger fight or Tiafimo is the A-side. The only argument would have been Tiafimo's belts. But that usually doesn't make you the A-side when the other person's bringing way more of an audience, both live and on television or pay-per-view. Javante Davis sells tickets, bottom line. It's not just the knockouts. We do think knockouts sell, but there's been plenty of knockout artists 
like Aaron Pryor, Julian Jackson in the past that didn't sell tickets, but were some of the biggest and best knockout artists of all time. So knockouts by themselves don't just sell. There has to be charisma with it. Tank has that. He's the type of guy that's very reserved, does most of his talking in the ring, but he also can be entertaining when he does open up. And he's the type of guy that brings the stars out, brings celebrities out. He's a very relatable guy in the street. He's always outside. He's always, like he says, I'm outside. That's the difference between me and these other fighters. He's donating to local establishments. He's putting in time. He's helping out people that grew up like he did that didn't have many other options out there other than the street life or boxing, which changed his life. So Tank is very relatable to these young generation and his talent attracts the older generation. I think that's another misconception about Tank Davis. People think he's just a knockout puncher when that's simply not the case. This guy has an extensive amateur background. He is one of the most methodical finishers in the game. I think him, Canelo, and Jermel Charlo have a very similar style. And the fact that they aren't high-volume punchers at all, they're the type to sit back, see what you're throwing, and look for the perfect opening to land with big power shots. It may not take more than four rounds to do it in some cases, but other cases it may take 10 rounds to do it, where you think, oh, okay, maybe they're down on the cards. They're not really outboxing their opponent. They're not throwing enough. But when they do throw, it's accurate, and it's with vicious fight-ending power, and that's what Tank Davis does. But the thing is, when it comes down to it, if he has to use his boxing skills, he actually can use it. We just haven't seen guys take that out of him. We haven't seen people withstand the power, even at 140 with Barrios. It took him a little while, yes. He had some tough rounds in that fight, absolutely, against a much bigger guy, but the power eventually caught up to Barrios. And that's what it does, especially with the lighter weights, the 135 and definitely at 130. So Tank Davis hasn't had to really show his full arsenal. But I think with a guy like Pitbull, Isak Cruz, with his style, head down, coming forward, throwing overhand rights, left hooks, vicious, vicious body shots. Cruz will go to the body very often. I think we may have times in this fight where we see Jermonte Davis on his back foot. And that's not a bad thing to have a back foot game. And I think Javante Davis does have a back foot game. I think we will see it in this fight. I expect him to find the knockout probably around the sixth or seventh based on styles. But hey, I said that about Camboso's style, which originally was a come forward style, but he implemented a boxing ability very well. He fought from the outside very well. Maybe Cruz comes in with something completely unexpected like an outside game or a back foot game of his own. We don't know. I haven't seen it yet. That's what I'm saying with Davis. We haven't seen his yet, but I believe he is capable of outboxing a guy. He has the speed. I think his speed is right there with Ryan Garcia's. Ryan Garcia's speed gets praised so much because he emphasizes his own career based on his speed. He puts out Instagram videos very often about his hand speed, flashing his hand speed. Tank Davis doesn't do that very much. But when you look at when he actually does hit the pads, or even when he's throwing a combination in a fight, it is a lot faster than you realize because we all 
are so in love with his power, we forget about these other aspects of his game. He's also a pretty good defensive fighter. He's also doesn't have the best head movement, but his glove placement, look at how he places his gloves way in front of him. He has plenty of room, plenty of time to react with his head based on where his gloves are placed because they're so far away from his face. The punch is deflecting off his glove before he gets anywhere near his face. So he does have really underrated defense as well. He may seem like he takes a lot of shots because he's going for the finish. When he goes for the finish, he's going to eat a few shots, especially if he felt your power earlier in the fight. He knows it's not going to carry later in the fight. If it didn't drop him early, he's willing to take it late. So he does get hit more often than he should. But like I said, I think that's only when he's going in for the kill. But the fact is, usually he's going for the kill. I expect more of the same tonight, or excuse me, Sunday night. And it'll be all action. I already guaranteed it. But it's not just the main event. The undercard is exceptional as well. One of the best undercards of the year. We got the towering Inferno, Sebastian Fondora, back in the co-main. This guy, when we first heard of him, it was more of like a curiosity, just like a freak show almost. This dude is six foot six, 154 pounds. Insane. Guy is tall, probably about five inches taller than everyone else at that weight. Put it that way. The tall 154 pounders are six feet. This dude is six foot six. And the thing with Fundora, it's like you would imagine, okay, with a guy that tall, a guy that long, you want to get inside and try and fight him on the inside. Try and fight him at close quarters. Don't let him use those long arms. Don't let him use that distance. Don't let him use that reach advantage. Well, the thing is, Fandora's best part of his game is fighting on the inside. So it really is tough to match up with him. And he's it went from a curiosity thing where you realize, okay, three or four fights in, you're like, okay, no, this guy is actually really good. This guy is actually great at fighting on the inside, great at using his leverage with those long arms for uppercuts. And then once you try and get away from him, he uses that reach to his advantage and just throws the jab out there until he gets back close in on you and becomes it becomes a firefight where Fandora is usually getting the better of it. So Fandora is matched up really tough here with Sergio Garcia. That's a 50-50 fight. Sergio Garcia is 30-0. That's going to be a tough fight. Also on the undercard, another battle of top 10 in their division. This is middleweight division. Sergei Derevinchenko, 13-3, coming against Carlos Adames. Um, Carlos is a really good fighter. He's a guy that hasn't really got the benefit of the doubt in previous fights. Well, actually, I'm lying. He's only had one loss, so... He's been in closer fights than they should have been, but he did get the decision in most of them. The only time he didn't was against Patrick Teixeira. Patrick Teixeira is a really good fighter. Brian Castaño beat him, but that was at 54. I think Adames is going to be better at 60, 160. He's had a couple fights at this weight. And Sergey Dervinchenko might be on his way out. We don't know really what he has left, but I expect that to be an all-action affair. Um, I haven't seen Dervinchenko since... Jamal Charlo decisively beat him in August of 2020. Earlier that year, or earlier in 2019, actually, at Madison Square Garden, Sergey versus Triple G was an incredible fight. I was there in attendance. I thought Triple G barely edged it, but many people in the audience believed that Dervinchenko actually won that fight and that Triple G robbed him. 
So that just shows Dervinchenko is a very tough competitor. Been in there tough with Triple G. Been in a really good fight with Danny Jacobs. And had the loss to Jamal Charles. So all three of his losses were against incredible fighters at the time that he fought them. Adames hasn't been tested as much. So this will be a great test for him to see where he stands in the middleweight division. This will be a huge win for either fighter. That's a top 10 matchup in the middleweight division. And then also on the undercard is just a really fun featherweight fight. Eduardo Ramirez, 25-2 and two and 12 knockouts against Miguel Mariaga. Mariaga is a warrior, 30-4, and four, 26 knockouts. This should be a really fun fight. I expect Mariaga to get the upset, but that's another one that could go either way. Three, actually four great fights on the card. Three, I'd say 50-50. The main event, just all action. I expect Davis to get the job done, but like we saw with Tiafimo Lopez, anything can happen in the sport of boxing. This is why they fight the fights. This is why we watch them, because we think we may know. We tune into the fights. And the unexpected occurs. Look for some more unexpected things this weekend. But one thing I can't expect is all action. That is this Saturday, Devin Haney versus Jojo Diaz. Highly competitive lightweight fight. And then on Sunday, great card from top to bottom on Showtime. Headlined by Javante Tank Davis versus all action Isak Cruz. In what I guarantee will be a thrilling event. Oh, before I forget, there's also another under-the-radar card earlier in the day on Saturday. That should take place at around 5 p.m. Eastern time. That is two top 10 light heavyweights. Lyndon Arthur, King Arthur, against Anthony Yard. Arthur is unbeaten. Him and Yard fought once previously. It was a split decision victory for Lyndon Arthur. Lyndon Arthur has one of the best jabs in the world. I would say... Saturday will be a great display of jabs. You're going to see two of the best jabbers in the world, Devin Haney and Lyndon Arthur, both fight Saturday. That is both on the zone. Arthur fight will be earlier in the day. That is a top light heavyweight bout. We'll see the winner of that challenge for a title in the future against either Dmitry Bival or Artur Betterbiev. So that's definitely one to look forward to. Loaded weekend. And there's still more to come on the horizon. A hell of a year coming off a, a great month. And December's looking to set us off in the right direction. Continue the trend of great fights every week. I'm sure these cards will deliver. Make sure you tune in. Share this podcast with anyone you know who likes boxing. Thanks for the support. Have a great weekend. I'm out.